0: everyone welcome to the mill spec believer podcast i'm ryan mccary and i'm excited you're listening and watching if uh you're not watching then uh, pause this video head over to youtube and uh, go ahead and uh, get the the live stream up so you can uh watch and uh and listen so i appreciate you guys appreciate your support uh wanted to start putting out uh episodes via video and so got the youtube channel going i'll, I'll still keep posts on audio to all the podcast locations um but yeah hope you guys are doing all right i am super stoked for this episode um today we're gonna have doug mccary uh who actually is my father uh he's gonna come on and share his story share his testimony um Yeah, really really awesome background, um, just in the Marine Corps as a pilot, uh, went into the FBI, then went into full-time ministry. Uh, So I hope you guys will stick around and listen to that. And uh, without further ado, let's get into it, y'all. Thanks for listening. Well, I am really excited to introduce my father, uh, Doug McCary. Thanks for coming on, Doug.
1: I'm glad to be here, Ryan.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate it. I... I, I read a story a few weeks ago uh, about a story of a father and a son a pair of rescue men who are on the same team. And I was like, at first, when I first read it, I was like, this is freaking awesome. Like father and son, like the father reenlisted in order to basically be on the same team <laughs> as his son. Uh, it just worked out that way. It's the only time in special operations history, I think, that that's happened with a father and son. and. I thought it was the coolest thing, and as I like kind of reflected on that, I was like, Dude, like for the kingdom, for Christ, like me and my dad are on the same team, and like we're both like pursuing the Lord, we're both trying to like be bold and uh share our faith uh through which we can get into a little bit how you're doing that, but I just thought that was really cool. Um, And I just wanted to have you on because I'm like, we're yeah. on the same
1: team. This is awesome. Well, we we are, and we share a common uh, background in the military, too, which is kind of cool because we like things that go boom in the night. <laughs> we like, yeah. uh, you know, the fun stuff like NAV, land NAV, force marches, that kind of stuff, right? All the fun
0: stuff. So, yeah. no, th- I really appreciate you coming on. Just, I know, obviously, your whole story. I- I've heard your testimony probably a hundred plus times and still encourages me. But um, just as we go through this, uh, if we could give maybe like a brief introduction of like your military career and kind of where that led you just very uh, wave tops, and then we can go back and go into details.
1: Yeah. So um, I uh, grew up thinking I was going to play pro baseball and I, um, Ended up having that cut short. I grew up in a home that kind of was very faith-based, and uh, I was playing baseball, watching jets fly over, and I thought, man, it would really be cool to fly those. So I actually applied for Air Force ROTC and got denied. Um, oh man! Yeah, I, I, was, I was. I didn't denied. know. I, I didn't
0: know I had that on you. Yeah, man, you I got did. accepted into Air Force ROTC. I know so you did,
1: and I got well. well <laughs> let me let me restate that. I would have gotten accepted but they hmm. didn't have a pilot slot ah, and I wanted okay. to be a pilot. Gotcha. And 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 so I looked around and I wanted to fly jets and the uh there was a marine recruiter actually a couple of things went on at once. I I got cut from the Mississippi State baseball team cuz I was playing baseball all through high school and junior college and then college. And I transferred from a Division II school up to Mississippi State to play. Unfortunately, they signed Will Clark uh to play. He played the same position I did. He played like 17 leagues in or 17 years in the big league. And for me, uh, there's no baseball cards with my name on it, but there's a lot with Will Clark's <laughs> name on it. And so I was trying to figure out what to do. And there was a Marine recruiter in the student union building. And, man, he, you know, they're trained to see sucker written over the head of college students anyway. And so he had me signed up in about two minutes to get in the Marine Corps and go through their PLC program and fly Harriers. He had a actually an archaic video of a Harrier, which is a vertical takeoff jet in the Marine Corps. Marine Corps was the only branch that flew it. And I was like a, a mosquito to the purple light, man. I... Saw that, I wanted to fly it, and so I went through, you know, officer candidate school two summers, and then uh, ended up when I graduated, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, went through the basic school, which is every Marine officer is a infantry officer first, doesn't matter what you do, and then um, I flew. I went through flight school, flew for eight years in the Marine Corps, and then got out, I went into the FBI, was uh, on the SWAT team in the FBI and did drugs. I was a drug agent for four years. Then God called me out of that to full-time ministry overseas. I went to Russia for about 15 years, taking teams over there, planting churches, delivering bottles, and then kind of got told I couldn't do that anymore because of my background as an FBI agent and a Marine pilot. They didn't like that. Yeah, they were harassing the pastors over there. So I went to Africa first, Kenya a couple of times, and I went to the Philippines and settled in India as a place to do ministry up in the Northern part of India. So I did that for a while, still do a lot over there. And, um, but, uh, in the last like six years, I've gotten involved in doing reactive shooting training. I've always been a firearms guy, but, um, God's given me an opportunity to actually help train SWAT guys in the local area, so it's kind of cool to be a preacher who trains SWAT guys, you know, to shoot. Few and
0: far between, (laughs) preacher shooters. So, um, so to backtrack a little bit, so you kind of went in a little bit into how you ended up into the military, um. What did what did that look like faith-wise? Te- like, what was early childhood testimony like kind of leading up until your time into the movie?
1: Okay. So I, like I said, was raised in a uh, Christian home. And uh, my background was my parents uh, had a hard time having children. My mom had multiple uh, miscarriages. And then- um, she had a child that was born on September 2nd, 1960. And then uh, that was my older brother, James Allen. He died two days later. And my mom prayed a prayer and said, God, if you give me a child, I'll give them to you. And so on September 2nd, 1961, one year to the day that my older brother was born, I was born. And so I grew up being taken to church as early as I can remember. Uh, My mom trusted Christ in uh, May of 1967. I trusted Christ in May of 1967. I was five and a half years old. Still remember it. Three years later, uh, I remember at a vacation Bible school, uh, which was like a summer program for kids to go to church and learn Bible stories and learn about the Bible and God. uh, I walked forward and said, I feel God calling me to be a preacher. And that was when I was eight. Well. Once I got into baseball, I kind of put that stuff on the back shelf, to be honest with you. It's not that I ditched my faith, but I just was more interested in baseball. Um, It wasn't like I denied God, but I just wanted to play pro baseball. That didn't work out. Then I got in the Marine Corps. My focus turned to flying. And unfortunately, when I was in flight school, um, Top Gun came out. Worst thing that ever happened to every pilot in the Navy uh, and Marine Corps uh, anywhere, really. Uh, You guys,
0: you got, your egos were already up
1: here before that movie. They were. And uh, the terrible thing about that is every pilot after that thought they were Tom Cruise reincarnated. They just, uh, it really was not a great thing. So I don't really like the first Top Gun movie that much. I like the second one a lot better, but um so all that to say, I was pretty much living for Doug. I, I met my wife, Lori, when uh, I was 19. She was 16. So she kind of went through the process with me of being in the Marine Corps. And, and you know, we got married on Dece- – I got commissioned December 9th, and we got married December 10th. So she went up to the basic school with me, went through flight school with me. Unfortunately, she hadn't endured all that torture of a very arrogant – a uh, prideful husband who was uh, going to church and said he loved the Lord. And, and I, you know, I it did. It wasn't like I denied him, but in my actions, I did not put him on display very well. And um, all that really became highlighted in 1987 when I was in a near fatal accident and God really revealed himself because I was not making great choices uh, as it, I, I was a believer. It's mm-hmm. not like I wasn't a believer. I was a follower of Jesus who wasn't following. I don't know if mm-hmm. you knew guys like that or know guys like that, but I was a follower of Jesus who wasn't following him.
0: I've been, I mean, I've been guilty of it as a believer, just it being on the back burner. Like it's just, you you get bright eyes towards the things that you think are important and you just get your priorities mixed up. So. And I what's interesting
1: in is you and me are both in the military. <clears throat> So we know the importance of mission focus, right? Mm-hmm. But but to be honest, I, I was never really taught mission focus in relation to Jesus mm-hmm. in the sense it was just, I was taught that you need to know him because you need to go to heaven.
0: <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I
1: like you want to know Jesus because you got to get the ticket to heaven. You got to get on that train. And so I thought, okay, I got the ticket, so I'm good. But that's not the mission. It was never the mission. Mm -hmm. The mission was to bring us into the kingdom so we can then be deployed out. Mm -hmm. And I I use this illustration a lot, Ryan, that um, it would be like me getting in the Marine Corps. Once I get sworn in, I say, take the oath. I go in, I get my uniform and I I put on my uniform. I'm like, I'm a Marine now. Okay, no training, (laughs) no mission. I just am a Marine. I'm wearing my uniform because I got my uniform now. You know, as well as I do, putting on the uniform doesn't make you an airman, a JTAC, a Marine Mm -hmm. or whatever you are. It's the training, the experience
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: the mission that makes you that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get that. And so I'm flying on this training mission in the Harrier. Um, There were a lot of tests. God kept trying to get my attention through these little attention getters all through the Marine Corps um, that would take way too long to go through. But I would, he'd get it for a little while, and then I'd get distracted
0: again. Mm-hmm. How old were you at this point?
1: <clears throat> oh, I was in my mid twenties. Okay, so I get assigned Harriers, which is what I wanted to fly, and it was very hard process to get them. And I get assigned to Yuma, Arizona. So I'm in a gun squadron out there, which means it's an operational squadron. And I'm flying, I've only been flying for a few months in the gun squadron. So I come out of the training squadron, you go to the gun squadron, and as I'm flying with my wingman one day on a low level, a five-pound buzzard comes through my windshield and impacts my chest. Uh, I'm going for about 450, and I'm about 200, 300 feet off the ground. So for the first time in my life as a guy who's 27 years old, I'm dying in the plane. And by the way, the Harrier was called the Widowmaker because it's the most dangerous aircraft flown in U.S. history in peacetime, the most dangerous peacetime aircraft. So many guys have died died flying it. And so first thing that's going through my head is I'm dying. And I'm thinking, okay, um, God, could you let me see a bright light or something? I'm literally wanting some assurance. That I'm not going to burn in hell because I'd been making such terrible life choices. And at that moment, it was as if God wrapped his arms around me and I didn't hear a voice audibly, but it was so strong. It was like a voice that says, you're mine, not because of what you do, but because of what's been done for you. And I think for the first time, I really began to experience grace. I mean, mm-hmm. I experienced grace in general ways, but mm-hmm. really, my whole life, I kind of felt like if I didn't live up, then he was going to reject me. Because I experienced that a lot in life in different areas. If you don't perform, you're rejected. Well, and not, I, we that's,
0: all right. that's unfortunate, because that's really, that's really a form of Christianity that's been pushed in America, is live up to this expectations because you're a Christian. And if you don't, then you're rejected. And just really unfortunate that you felt that way because i mean obviously i i have fallen into that mindset and it's just a very very common thing in america for people to think christians have it all together
1: well and and let's face it <clears throat> you as a dad want your kids to be great right you want them to be model citizens you want them to be obedient we wanted you and your siblings to be that way right I, mom and i wanted that so a lot of times in our desires to see that, we unwittingly sometimes reinforce that, that if you don't live up, you're not loved. Even though we love you, regardless of what you do, it comes across sometimes or you may feel that. And that's certainly what I felt. I felt that in the church. I felt that, uh, you know, in family life. I felt that out in the workplace. So we're conditioned that way. But at that moment, it was really an unbelievable moment for me. It it ranks up there in my top three moments of my life to feel that sense from God that you're my child, not because of what you do, but because Mm -hmm. of what I've done. Now, go live like my child. Mm -hmm. It was as clear as you and me talking here. So I don't remember landing the airplane. My wingman joined on me. Uh, there was a big hole in my windscreen. There was a chunk missing out of the intake. The engine was fodded. That means foreign object damage. So that affects the the thrust and the engine. And I don't remember landing. I was in shock from the blood loss and the trauma. So my any, I, any idea how far you were from the airfield? 20 minutes from the airfield by five. Oh my word. That's crazy. So my wingman told me that he he did controllability checks with me of the plane, put the gear down, make sure everything would work. And he he told me later that the engine, when I hit a certain point, would vibrate. I don't even remember that. But he led me to Keesler Air Force Base, where I landed. And um, they pulled me out of the plane. I couldn't even walk. I was white as a ghost. I'd lost a lot of blood internally. They put me on a gurney, he said. And then they, I don't remember any of this. They pushed me into the 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 hospital to the ICU room as they're pushing me in. They stop because even though I don't remember this, I'm I'm talking right. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just in shock, and so they get my wife, your mom, on the phone, and I talk to her and I tell her, "Listen, I'm running a little late. I'm going to be <laughs> late for tonight. We're a thousand miles away. I mean, we're not even close to. We're in the." different states way uh you know but that's what they said they got her on the phone and so i then they wheel me off to icu you're dying you're dying and you decide to tell her you'll you'll be a little late yeah (laughs) remember there's no cell phones right at this time this is back in 1987 and so uh, i spent three days in icu And every time I would really, you know, I was kind of groggy. They were giving me some some painkillers for what was going on. So every time I would come to and see the white ceiling, I would think about what happened in the cockpit. And I would just say, from now on, short accounts, God, from now on, short accounts. In other words, from now on, God, I want to be real. I don't want to be a fake anymore. I don't want to be a guy who says one thing and lives another. It's not that I'm trying to earn my way there. I just want to be authentically his.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, after that, I went, I got out of ICU. I spent about five months rehabbing. And after five months of rehab, I got to fly again. And so um, I actually got back in the plane, which was a miracle. They shouldn't have let me in because my heart was all messed up. What did mom they, think about that? Um, <laughs> you know, she was okay with it. I mean, um, she was okay with it. You know, after I flew again, I actually did a six-month tour on a ship, flying on a ship, which had its own challenges. Um, it Flying the Harrier was a very interesting plane and, and landing on the ship and doing the things we had to do. Flying out in Huma, Arizona in the desert, sometimes flying in the desert, doing stuff we had to do, working up to the ship was more dangerous than being on a ship. But uh, I had some scares where I thought like one time I almost flew into the ground just because it's so dark out there. You can't see anything. And um, so all through those times, God just continued to grow my faith. And uh, something really amazing uh, happened. Um, I was able to win my wingman who led me to safety to Christ. He had grown up in the church, was a lot like me. And God allowed me to speak into his life and literally i saw his life change before my eyes it was really a cool thing That's cool. and and then he and i were jogging in 1991 or sorry uh october of 1990 and uh he told me he said you know i i went on another cruise after you did and i i led the bible study he was so proud that he led the bible study on the cruise and he said, the one area that I wish I could be better at, I wish I was a better leader to my family. My wife's not really a believer. My kids, I just, I feel like I don't know how to really lead them well, spiritually, because I feel like this is also new to me. And I said, well, listen, Pat, his name was Pat, you don't know when God's going to take you. Don't wait and put it off. Just talk to them about your faith. Tell them what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Three days later, my friend died in a plane crash. And uh, I was the first one on the scene. Uh, It was very difficult for me. Uh, I mean, here I am. In a Harrier?
0: It was a Harrier crash?
1: Yeah, it was a Harrier crash. What happened is he was flying, his plane did an uncommanded roll, and he ejected out of the plane into some pine trees going 400 miles an hour.
0: So imagine
1: in a car wreck, you're going that fast and hit something. So he literally hit those trees, and it was blunt force trauma to his face, his body, everything. So I was the first one on the scene. I rode with him to the hospital. I prayed for him. I prayed for God to do a miracle and heal him. The hardest thing I've ever had to do, Ryan, was his wife was flown down from D.C. He was detached from D.C. training people. And the first thing she asked me when she got off the plane, I met her at the airport. Now, they kept him on life support. But he had no brain activity, hmm. but they kept him on life support till she got there. And she said, is he going to make it? I'll never forget that moment in the airport in New Bern, North Carolina. It, it was it was. It was really difficult to look her in the eye and I didn't know what to do, but tell the truth. And I said. He he's he has no brain activity and she just she went in the bathroom and threw up and it was re- it was one of those hard moments. that you. It's hard to explain to people you. I know you if you're in the military, you understand you have moments like that. You have to deal with very hard things. People get killed. People get hurt in training accidents. Um, And it's one of those moments that God gives you a chance to minister. And I ended up walking the family through the grieving process, sharing the gospel with them. They asked me to speak at the memorial service to about a thousand Marines. And I shared the gospel with those Marines, and it was at that moment I sensed God calling me to maybe be preaching, forgetting mm-hmm. about my VBS yeah. experience. Right, <laughs> I forgot about that. But, but I, I I really felt God calling me to do that. And uh, and then so I told Lori, hey, I feel like God calling me to preach. I need to go to seminary. She goes, you're not a preacher. And I go, what? She goes, I just don't see you doing that. Uh, Because at that time, there was still too much of me Mm. in doing it. And there was still a lot of growth that needed to happen. And so I said, well, the only other thing I want to do is be an FBI agent. So she said, I think you've been watching too much Miami Vice and (laughs) police shows. But if you want to apply for that, you could do that. And so I applied for the FBI. The year that I applied, only 200 people out of 15,000 applicants got hired. And I go in there, I'm a PE major, right? Physical ed, I took challenging courses like football, dance, and you know, soccer, <laughs> those kind of things.
0: A lot and to offer the FBI.
1: Yeah, you know, mm. oh yeah, they're, they're wanting uh, accountants and lawyers and stuff, language speakers. And so, but I said, the guy laughed at me when I went in and took the test. But I said, you know, if God wants me to get there, he'll put me there. And he did. I went in the FBI and the most amazing thing happened in the FBI the FBI gave me a million dollar education in investigating and interpreting and applying the three main things needed to do Bible study. Right. So it was my seminary. I learned how to interact with people. I mean, one day you're talking to a drug dealer and a murder. The next day you're talking to a federal judge and sometimes there's not a lot of difference between those two. Right. And uh-huh. so, um, I learned how to deal with people. It was my training ground. And then in 1994, after four years in the FBI, a very successful career, uh, God called me to leave the FBI and to go full-time in ministry to Russia, where I was planning churches, doing evangelistic crusades, speaking to people over there.
0: What uh, did, uh, I haven't asked you this, what did your buddies think? Because obviously in the SWAT team, like you had friends, you were close to people, I'm sure. So like, what did those conversations look like with, like, your supervisor or, like, your buddies? And you're like, yeah, I'm, this has been cool, but I'm out.
1: Well, a couple of things. Well, let me go back to the Marine Corps. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I had 60 troops that worked underneath me. They gave me a send-off, and at the top of the send-off page, they said, uh, farewell to our spiritual leader.
0: Now, That's imagine sweet. that.
1: In the Marine Corps, they put that on there, right. Yeah, and so, deal. in the in the f b i God just continued to grow my faith. I had opportunities to share about my bird strike. I had opportunities to do things, but it's interesting you mentioned that because the the leader of the office they're called a special agent in charge of the Jacksonville office called me and your mom in and said, "Listen, I just got to tell you, I think Doug's making a big mistake. He's very successful. he's had big cases." He's had a lot of seizures. He can go on mission trips. We'll give him vacation, but he's making a big mistake, and we wanted you to know. And we really think maybe you should be a part of this process. And, <laughs> like, they're trying to convince her. To get That's wild. Me. Yeah. And so Lori, and my wife, goes, well, I'm sure you know we're going to stand before God one day, and we're going to have to give an account. And we tag team the gospel to that person oh, and shared Lord. the whole thing to him, well, as we shared that with them, uh, their response was, "Well, you know, I've done pretty well on my own, like I mean the whole religious stuff I, I, I you know I'm not a very religious person, and I've done pretty well in my life. That was his comment. the next Yikes. day no no kidding, the next day he was indicted. We came home, we're watching CNN, and on CNN, it mentions he's indicted and arrested. The guy who oh, the said word. that the day before. And so to your listeners, if you get a warning from somebody, somebody's trying to share with you something about Jesus, and maybe you need to follow him, you don't want to say, I've done pretty well in my life and I have <laughs>
0: A humble Pie, right around the corner. That's crazy. Woo.
1: That was it. Was crazy, but um, I got into ministry, and one of the really struggles for me early on was the the lack of mission focus. And you know, in in the military and the FBI on the SWAT team, mission drove everything. But when I got out and I was in the church,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm thinking, what's the mission? The mission is to reach the world for Christ, disciples, make disciples, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody had different agendas and we're all Mm -hmm. trying to figure out we don't work together. You know, we There's no cohesiveness of unit. How important is that in the military? Right. And so it was it was because God created us for a relationship with him and a Mm -hmm. purpose to redeem us from chaos and then he called us to go be his representatives out in the world well not to stay in a huddle in the church where we're all just okay we're just with christian people we're supposed to be out putting him on display so they look at you ryan and they go wow why is he different like i've Mm -hmm. watched him get chewed out by this co and he just it goes off him like water off a duck's back you know i mean how's he and they come up to you and say wow i how are you so different? And you give an answer mm-hmm. for the hope that's in you. So I, I, I kind of miss that. And the more I began to study the Jewishness of Jesus and the Hebrew way of discipleship, the more I became aware that the mission was not to get people on a train to go to heaven, mm-hmm. but the mission was to put God on display by bringing shalom or peace to chaos, Right. And then being a kingdom priest to people, intervening so they can then come into the kingdom and reproduce. So there's a reproducing that continues until Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. And and that mission has defined SWAT, the name yeah. of my ministry now, and defined what I do. I mean, is to make disciples.
0: So what what would you and like what's your elevator pitch to
1: the listeners of like what SWAT is? <laughs> Um, Well, SWAT, first of all, stands for spiritual warriors advancing truth and truth being a a double meaning of the truth of God's word and Jesus truth, right? He says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. So there's five core values to SWAT. God's word is our starting point and authority. If we don't agree on that, then then we have problems because it has to be our authority because we have no no other way. Second is uh, prayer, staying close to our commander. You know, we, we've got to know what the commander wants. He's the one who calls the shots. And so that's second prayer. Third is being a witness. You know, a lot of people talk about winning souls to Christ. We're just supposed to be a witness. You and I can't win anybody to Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus yeah. is the one who wins people, but we just witness of our faith. Yeah. We what, just go what plant the
0: seeds, go throw the yeah. seeds out.
1: Yeah. And then four uh, is discipleship. We are to uh, we're basically intentional reproducing discipleship, building into younger guys who will find other guys to build into them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then fifth is and this is the one that I probably missed the most was when I got in that that ministry was community, a band of brothers coming around God's word and doing ministry together. You know, yeah. in you you know, you and I talk a lot about it because we we do some things together. The mission, how cool is it when you got a team who goes in to do a yeah. mission together and you build that common memory, right? That common oh, yeah. Focus. Isn't it
0: fun hundred percent. Yeah, like that was that was the biggest uh <clears throat> Sadness I had whenever I was active duty still in that kind of season of like, not being bold in my faith is I was missing out on connecting with fellow believers in my squadron connecting with fellow believers in my community for us to like, mutually encourage one another. And like, that's been the biggest blessing of starting this whole podcast or this whole page or whatever is just guys messaging me and us being able to keep up with each other. And it's like, okay, our paths will never cross. We're in two completely different military squadrons, but we're able to mutually encourage each other and and ask each other how you're doing or share a verse or whatever. And it's just like, you're not alone. And it just feels like you're alone when you're in these kind of situations and you're not speaking out about your faith.
1: So that's really cool. And and there's an accountability there, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. like, you know, as well as I do, let's say you're on a mission You've got a JTAC mission, you're going out, you and you've got a group, a squad, whoever's going out there, your 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 unit. <clears throat> what happens when one guy decides to do what he wants to do and not what the unit's supposed to be doing? Yeah, you call, call him us back. Apart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta call him back. Well, think about it in the church, how often that happens. Everybody I this is my idea. This is my idea. We we've mm-hmm. gotta work together. And a lot of people go to Bible studies. But they don't have the goal of reproducing they just go and I call them getting fat they just go and eat and eat and eat they don't exercise together they don't go out and do stuff together. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes SWAT cool is that we do mission projects together we've gone to the Philippines we've gone to India together with guys mm-hmm. and a lot of my guys go to Israel because I lead groups to Israel every year and I teach about discipleship the way a rabbi disciple not the way see the word disciple in a Greek is matates, which means learner, but in Hebrew, it's me, which means somebody who wants to be like the teacher. There's a yeah. little difference between knowing what the teacher knows and being like the teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So, I try to teach that at SWAT. That's what we try to emulate. So, so
0: mm-hmm. what would you, be your encouragement, I guess, to those in the military who are struggling to be bold in their
1: faith? Well, first of all, I would say pray and really seek to be filled with God's word and His Spirit. Uh, That that has a lot of times we we don't we diminish the importance of God's word on a daily basis. We don't read God's word to get a checklist done. We don't read it because we have to read it. We read His word because that's how we're fed. It's like me not eating breakfast, man. If I'm not eating breakfast, my stomach starts roaring about ten o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the same way, if I'm not feeding God's Word into my life systematically, reading just to read it, not to do a study on anything, but just ingesting it daily, I find that I get spiritually hungry and I can be dry. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not filled with that. That overflow of joy of my connection with God. So I'd say pray and seek to be filled with his word and, and, and then learn and study his word, memorize it, learn those verses, not necessarily so you can go impress somebody with them just so they're in your mind. You would be surprised how memorizing God's word will come up. God will bring those passages to mind and and they'll be relevant to somebody you're talking to you know you know the bible says or god's word says you know or i read a book that said this might be a wise thing to do whatever and then try to walk out god's word with a partner or with somebody find you a battle buddy to kind of walk it out with put god on display together yeah. you know it's not like you got to go beat people over the head with a bible just hang together with your battle buddy talking about those things. And pretty soon, God will move you to do things, follow the desires of your heart. You know, you and I do some things together that open us up to a world of people that the, the church isn't going to engage, right? I mean, like, you know, and I'm talking about how you and I do some online stuff together. Well, that that's a whole arena of people who I go in there and I don't go, hey, I'm a preacher. My name's Doug. And let me tell you about Jesus, right? Yeah. I go on there. And the first thing I do is I just start building a relationship with people. Yeah, I start it's just talking like
0: talking them. 101 or relationship 101. It's like no different creating a friend, like just having a relationship with someone opens up the door to share the gospel. It's like, I think there's a place for open air preaching when people can yeah. do that. But I just the military squadron or in general, it's usually not not the best, most effective bet, in my opinion. But
1: well, I'll tell you one of the things, Ryan, I did when I was a pilot. I don't know if I ever told you this when I was flying, because sometimes let's just be honest, your hectic uh, pace that you're on uh, in the military when you're doing exercises and stuff is you, you you don't read his word. You just put it aside. So I carried, you know, those little Gideon military pocket New Testaments. I carried one in my flight suit always. And so sometimes when I'm up at altitude flying, believe it or not, cross country, I would break out the Bible because I put autopilot on and we cruising for a little while and I I'm didn't reading. Y'all pilot. had
0: autopilot then? Yeah,
1: yeah, we did. <laughs> so I'm, we, we just put it on GPS direct and I'm reading the Bible when I'm up there studying, memorizing while I'm in the air, or I'm in the ready room. I'm reading the Bible. Uh, Now I'll tell you, when you do stuff like that, you're going to get some comments. I can remember talking to a guy uh, about Jesus one time in the ready room, which is where pilots get ready to fly, you know, you brief and everything. And an officer came up to me, a senior officer, and said, hey, you can't do that in the ready room. Well, first of all, that's not true. I mean, he was saying that because it made him feel uncomfortable. And I said, excuse me, sir, but guys two rows behind me were talking about prostitutes they had been with the night before. So if they can talk about things they love, I believe I can talk about things I love. I don't think that's breaking military, uh, any rules or anything. And he backed off. He didn't like me for it. Um, and I'll be real honest with you. It, it hurt me on my fitness report, but you have to decide one who's in control of your career. Is God in control or you in control? And, and you, you can choose not to speak up and you could have said, okay, sir, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't, I wasn't ugly in the way I dressed him. I just told him, he didn't, it was not a lawful command for him to tell me not to speak about Jesus in the red Right. Room, right. you know, um, but yet some people will try to do that. So it's important for us as believers to be respectful, but to also stand yeah. for truth, you know? Yeah, no, that's a cool story. I didn't know that one.
0: Yeah, I've, I'm like with my page and just podcast, like I'm just, I'm waiting to get fired at some point. <laughs> This is what it is. It kind of helps being guard. I'm, I'm a mister most of the time. So it kind of helps a little bit, but I mean, we're getting to some crazy times with it. And it's going to get crazier. I think I I really, yeah, yeah, I do too. Like, and back to what you were saying about like memorizing stuff, like might not be legal to open the Bible app or to open up a Bible some point in the future might, might be helpful to have some of those memorized (laughs) So. yeah,
1: well, um, you know, first Peter, here's here's the thing, and I do want to say this for anybody listening to this who considers themselves a believer. Our mission, like I said, is to put God on display. In Exodus 19, God told Moses, Tell the people, you're a kingdom of priests, you are to represent me to the world. Peter says in First Peter 2:9 you are a royal priesthood. I chose you to Mm -hmm. proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So we are to be proclaiming him. And if we're not proclaiming him, why does he leave us here? Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're to be witnesses for him. And so in the military, I know it's challenging to do that. Uh, If you haven't been reading your Bible, don't let guilt keep you from starting. the biggest thing is just to it's like going to the gym. you know when you get out of going to the gym, how hard it is to go back that first yeah, day for sure. you just gotta say it's a discipline. read the Bible, pray, um, and spend time, and you go, well, I don't feel like it. I don't either sometimes. Do you feel like working out every day I don't but but yeah. I know it's good for me. no, so mm-hmm. I do, it, and I go through there, and I have to say this, you know um. The when I was in the military before the bird strike, I was a guy that struggled to really love one child. But God took a guy who was only living for himself. And now I have eight children, five adopted from China, and he has given me the opportunity to love my children, to pass the faith on to them, to share with them. And I will tell you this is for young guys who have their kids, pour into them, pour into your kids, read them stories from the Bible, uh, read them the Bible, the scripture, teach them from a young age. That is part of your purpose, too. That's the biggest purpose for you as a dad. And and then as you do that, you know. You will be mindful when you're at the squadron and you're thinking about, well, man, I taught my kid that last night. you know where I learned some of my best lessons was teaching you and your brother or you and your sister to, yeah and, and working through that stuff. I love those stories, you know when we would share, so yeah
0: now that <clears throat> that's encouraging i I think that'll definitely help some guys out uh who are listening, so uh just to wrap it up i I really appreciate you coming on um. I learned some things, even though I've heard your testimony <laughs> 50, 100 times. Um, but no, I, I appreciate you coming on. I, I love uh, getting to connect with you in this scene, just as as we both pursue trying to be bold and we both are trying to encourage men uh, to be bold in their faith. And so, um, yeah, it's it's really cool to just have you as a dad and to both be pursuing this. So,
1: yeah, well, uh, I have um uh... Really appreciated your podcast. Because of your podcast, I got Chad Robishaw on SWAT Radio. <laughs> uh, and by the way, for your listeners, SWAT Radio is not a podcast, but it is podcast. But it, we're on live every day from 3 to 4 Eastern time at SWATradio.com. Um, and we have good guests on. Um, different guests from different backgrounds. I've had you on uh, and different people, Chad Robishaw and other people. To just let people share things that encourage them in their faith. So uh, awesome. yeah, I'd love for people that they are out there. We got people listening in Europe and all over Western US. So through the through the app, uh, SWAT radio or SWATRadio.com website. So
0: SWAT com. Yeah, yep. sounds good. And then I'll I'll tag that as well in the notes of the show as well so okay. people can find it. So
1: yeah.
0: All right, dad. I love you. Thanks for coming on.
1: I love too. I'll see you online sometime. All, All right. right. See ya. All right. Take care.